Hey guys, it's Steve. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. I took quite a break there. Um, over a year I've been gone. Uh, I was going to pull the plug on the whole thing. And then I said, let me just keep paying that, you know, I get to pay like 20 bucks a month to Libsyn to keep your podcast active. And I said, I'm just going to keep paying it. And because um, I kept getting messages, kept getting emails from people, how much they like the podcast. And I felt like, man, I did all this work to make this thing. Um, it got kind of difficult to get people to interview. Uh, I got busy. I changed jobs. We moved. Things just kind of, things just got busy. Life got busy. So I kind of put it down, but I kept it going. And I'm really glad I did because um, over the course of the year, I've received more emails than I could, than I can count, uh, more messages, uh, more encouragement. So um, I fired this thing back up. I put it out there on social media. I went to, um, I think, Sheepdog Nation, and I went to Drinking Bros uh, Public Safety um, Group, and I just kind of put it out there and said, guys, I'd love to start doing the podcast again, but uh, it's just it's just become difficult to, to get guests. So if you guys um, want to keep hearing the stories, please uh, let me know if you want to come on and share and um, I'll fire it up. And, you know, I got uh, the next week, I got six interviews coming up and I'm going to, I'm just going to start putting them out again. So uh, awesome, awesome support. Just really happy to be back at it. And um, this is the first one in a long time. Uh, I interview uh, Kyler Klein. He's a cop in Tennessee, one of my favorite states, and uh, he's got some great stories. So thank you for joining us and uh, enjoy. This is Things Police See, first-hand accounts, with your host, Steve Gold. Kyler Klein, thank you for coming on the podcast, my man. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, Steve. How are you? I'm doing very well. So you are, um, I'm excited to interview you. You're in Tennessee, right? Correct, yep. You're in a a suburb of Nashville, which is one of my favorite cities in the country. My wife and I drove cross-country, and we spent... uh, three or four days there and it is uh it's it's totally awesome there it's awesome middle tennessee's blown up um the department i'm at i like it the city that i'm at and i like it uh county county wise uh it's pretty good so it keeps us busy when i was there i went to uh, a, it's a good uh, place to live good place to grow up oh absolutely and i see the um property still relatively affordable but it's climbing um oh yeah it's booming. When we were there, we went to a place uh, near the new Grand Old Opry, and it was like it was like an indoor town. It was like an atrium with yeah. houses in right. it. It was insane. Mm-hmm. It's Nashville's, like I said, it's blowing up. Just I heard there there was a study or something published a while back that apparently there's a hundred people per day moving to Nashville, which I, I believe. Oh, I believe it absolutely, man. Especially right. I'm in California, and it's like uh, I just moved within California, like thirty miles. And the moving companies were like, it's a good thing you called this early because I call like a month and a half in advance. They're like, because there's so many people moving out of California that right. we don't oh, have yeah. any pods available. So mm-hmm. Everyone's getting out. Yeah, it's not good here. Um, yeah. <laughs> so tell me, um, how long you been a copper over there in Tennessee? Oh, so I have, um, I've been a cop now for four years and some change. Four years. That's plenty of time to accrue some, some uh, good experiences. It is. It is. It seems, and I still feel like as wide-eyed and bushy-tailed as I like just left the academy yesterday, and I'm still, you know, learning new stuff every day and seeing, seeing everything that you know, positive stuff to negative. So I mean, it's every day's a new and awesome day. Absolutely, man. I remember that when I was, um, when I the first five years I worked patrol, I was like, uh, it's the learning curve is huge because there's so, like so many different things can come up in police work that it's like you, right. you do literally learn something new almost every week. All right, brother, let's, uh, let's get down to brass tacks here. <laughs> tell me, right. uh, tell us about the, uh, first time you responded to a hot call and uh, mm-hmm. how you reacted to it. And, uh, just, just in general, the, uh, your first adrenaline dump. Okay. Walk you through all that. All right. So I got to think way back, you know, four years, it's, it's been, uh, <laughs> You don't know which one to, you know, which 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 event should I say? But, uh, but anyways, I think my my very first or one of my early uh, early hectic calls on my own. Uh, I was on third. I'm actually on second shift now, but I was on third shift at the time, and we worked uh, from ten at night to eight in the morning. So uh, the call came out at about between two and three it was pretty late and uh, me and my partner we were actually just sitting in a parking lot and just 
passing time and uh dispatch puts out a uh uh, 27 which is a, a a burglary in progress and i'm sure you know you know most most of your burglary calls tend to be false alarms or you know not what they are over the radio when you get there right so so of course we do the typical response you know we we go license sirens initially and uh dispatch gets on the radio again and says just be advised there's you know three suspects black male ski masks all with handguns so you know at this point we're like oh crap this is uh this is serious so yeah. that just made the that made the uh the pucker factor go up even more <laughs> when uh when it turns out to be legit with with handguns involved so we get we get closer to the address where we're going to and actually the business it's actually a warehouse that was being burglarized uh surprisingly and um so we get there as we're getting uh as we're approaching the building in our in our car still uh we drive solo cars so i'm by myself and my partner's behind me and uh dispatch is you know putting out details and details and they advised us that the uh, suspects were in some kind of white minivan so as i'm i'm the lead car pulling up to the business and sure enough i see a white u-haul van leaving the business at a high rate of speed with no headlights on so you know my first initial thing well hey that's a clue that probably is the van i'm looking for (laughs) right so I let dispatch know what I see and I give him the tag and it comes back. It's an Arizona tag rented out of you, you know, from a U-Haul place. So I get behind it and I'm like, hey, well, I'll light it up and we'll we'll see if this van is connected or wrong place, wrong time. So I get behind it, light them up. Sure enough, uh, they take off. They don't they don't pull over. So uh, and surprisingly, we didn't really go that far. We probably went maybe a mile, a mile and a half. So we have our lights and our sirens on and they're only going about 45 the entire way. And so we're following them. Um, I'm the lead car in the pursuit, uh, so we get uh, to another cross street down the road, and they pull off to the side. And I guess the driver had, uh, you know, a, a moment of clarity, and he realized, oh, hey, this isn't for me. So he pulled over. Uh, and so at this point, you know, we had, you know, five or five or six of us on scene right there, giving you know commands for a felony stop. So we stop them. Uh, you know, we're you know everyone's heart rates through the roof at this point, and we're calling them out. Oh, yeah. The uh, the driver, he actually complies. We get him all the way back. Uh, you know, we're, we're cuffing the driver. Um, at the same time, while we're cuffing the driver, we see that the uh, in the van, there's two other people because we weren't really sure how many people were in the van at first. Yeah, van so, is of course, the, we, that's the worst. Right. And so, and the the van, it was the, like I said, the rented U-Haul van. So it had like the two big bay doors that open up and then had the one sliding door on the side. And so um, they had the, the back two doors had the little windows you could still see through to the front of the cab. And so we can see some movement. And so we can see like it, it appears that maybe someone's trying to hop out. So we're, we're giving them commands to stay in the car, show us your hands, things like that. So sure enough, they disobey our commands and uh, uh, two males jump out and they take off running. So I uh, actually I prefer, you know, if anytime there's a weapon involved, I always go for my for my uh, patrol rifle. So I had my I had my patrol rifle out you know, giving these guys commands. And as soon as they take off, I didn't have time to put my rifle up. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm running with my rifle, chasing this guy, mm. uh, telling, you know, with all the other gear that we have on, telling them to, you know, stop running, you know, all that stuff. So, uh, we had one in custody. So lo and behold, we're chasing this guy. Me and my partner were on a beeline catching, catching up with this guy. And luckily he slipped and fell. So we caught one, we caught the second guy. So we got him in custody take him back to the patrol's car, put him in there. All right. So we got one more outstanding. So, um, the way third shift works, we really don't have an art department. This this guy that you got, was he armed? Uh, actually he was not armed, but later after we had captured all three of them, um, they, they had, they denied any type of firearm being used, but we did find a, uh, a handgun probably like a hundred yards back from where they had turned, off the street they had came from. Oh, that's a coincidence. Th- it's not this. They, they th- yeah, right. They, they <laughs> threw, I didn't see them throw the weapon out, but we found, you know, it was in the bushes a hundred feet from where they were at. And so, but, uh, anyways, for the third guy, um, like I said, the way, the way our shift works or the way our department is third shift doesn't have access to a, a canine. Uh, they, they, the canines go off, off duty at about two o'clock. So from any time after two to the rest of the shift, if you need a canine, uh, you just hope that we don't need a canine or you call in another 
agency to come assist. So uh, we had to call in our our on call canine. So they show up, but you know it's kind of at that point it's kind of pointless because like 30 minutes has passed, and uh, so we do a track, and lo and behold, uh, just some passing motorist that was going to work that morning uh he called dispatch and said hey there's a suspicious suspicious person walking you know on this road and it was pretty close to where the felony stop had stopped where we had caught the other two guys and so of course we went and checked it out and sure enough it was the last suspect so uh, we took him into custody no uh no officers got hurt they didn't get hurt and uh the, you know the uh the business got burglarized and there was actually a guard that was on duty that he you know, he got robbed as well, so he didn't get hurt. He got all his things back. Um, you know, it was a good, it was a good win for the good guys. But, uh, but like I said, I remember that just being the, uh, you know, that 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 was a pretty intense call dealing with multiple people and weapons and a pursuit and a foot pursuit on top of that at night. Oh hell uh, yes! So especially at that time, you, you just yeah. can't see anybody's hands. Who knows right. what they could be pointing a gun at you from the shadows? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so I mean, it was and the and the guys we were all chasing were were pretty tall. I think the second suspect we caught was like six foot, like a hundred and sixty pounds. So this guy could fly on foot. And so uh, you know, just people that are going to be naturally faster than you, plus all the gear we have on, you know, makes makes it tough as well to keep up i don't think people understand what it's like to chase somebody with like modern police gear on like 30 pounds around your waist and then like you said you had a rifle it is it is i mean after you chase someone don't you feel like you need to take everything off and put it back on because you're just like it's like when you put an undershirt on it gets twisted up because it's too tight right just everything is disheveled and screwed up and right it's, and then, you know, and God forbid, you hope that your mic stays connected to your uniform and it don't fly off and it's fly Cause I've had that, you know, it's, you're chasing someone and the, and the mic is flying around, flying around, you hitting you in the face, you know, you're trying to grab the mic while <laughs> yeah. you're trying to chase the suspect. And then, you know, hope, hopefully your cuffs don't fall out when you get to where you're going or you don't slip, you know, so there's all, there's all kinds of uh, things that people don't account for that make it harder for us to do our job but it still gets done yeah it's messy i I was talking to a cop that was like a cop in the 70s and he had a one of those like pancake holsters you know like a long uh-huh, but yeah. a long one on a swinging like deal <laughs> like uh-huh. really bizarre not secure at all he said yeah. he, he was in a uh, pursuit and his heel hit it and then his gun like went up and was about to hit the back of the guy he was chasing so then he was Ooh. he's you know he's bumbling his gun trying to tackle the guy so i guess right. it's oh, yeah. doesn't matter when it's there's always something but uh well i got to ask you what were these uh what were these guys stealing uh so like i said i mean and you and you know well as i do sometimes when people do some stuff you wonder why why in the hell did they do that because the risk was not worth the reward but basically uh, the, one of the suspects, he used, he was a temp, uh, a temp worker for this company and they, uh, recycled like metal from cell phones, like the batteries and just other like odd and metal things that they could use to recycle for, uh, other products. And I, I get like, of course they didn't, they didn't give us anything to go off. So, you know, we, we're kind of assuming that since he used to work there, he knew the layout, and he thought maybe he could go in there and get some of some of these old recycled cell phones, and uh, oh my turn gosh. around and sell them. But, but like that's just a <laughs> that's just a, a guess. We we I still to this day don't know why they did what they did, but it definitely was not worth the uh, the the reward was not worth the risk. Yeah, what a mistake! Yikes. Um, I'm curious what your um you said you're pursuing, but only for a mile. What are the pursuit rules like there in your department? Is that we used to have to geez, if, if it reached 70 or something, 65, we just had to call it off. Is it same thing pretty much nationally? You guys right. do the same thing, Tennessee? Uh, uh, now our, our department, we have, um, I would say we're on the, sm- we're on the smaller end of the spectrum, uh, because we're between, uh, Metro Nashville and then another agency. So we're kind of landlocked. So we only have maybe, uh, all together, uh, maybe on patrol, we have maybe, I don't know, 40 to 50, just, just throwing numbers out out there and so our pursuit policy uh, i would say is actually a little more on the uh the laxed end right at the moment i know they're they're looking to tighten it up um but um they're they're uh, they'll let us chase for you know assuming conditions are right you know you have good weather or traffic's not there and depending on the severity of the crime obviously 
Um, but you know, I've, I've chased people all the way from tag lights, all the way to, you know, aggravated assault or burglary. So, nice. Uh, it just, it just depends if, you know, like third shift, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of pursuits we got in started off with, you know, just moving violations or, you know, tag light, a burnt tag light, you know, we've chased people for burnt tag lights and caught them. And, you know, like I said, it all, it just, it's a very fluid situation and depending on the conditions of the weather, the, the crime and the traffic on the road. Right. Um, but I mean, like I said, you've, it seems, it seems now more today that departments are going to more strict, um, a strict, stricter policy, obviously for safety reasons for the public. So, but yeah, a lot of pursuits end in, uh, when I, when I used to work, they ended with, um, ending pursuit, pursuit, the vehicle crashed. (laughs) It's like, oh, they, they crashed right right after you ended. uh Weird. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, or and then sometimes we'll have, we've we've had uh, some some folks I know like uh, you know you you the the supervisor will say terminate it, or or you know you're you self terminate it and they'll say oh I'm self terminated here at such and such but I'm gonna I'm gonna you know continue normal operations but see if they crashed out further per se you know right. Do you have a um, strange or bizarre moment? Mm, strange or bizarre moment so like i said all, all these questions you could say you could just have hours and hours of strange stories but hey i'm sorry let me interrupt you i meant to ask you how this hot first hot call you went on how how long were you on the job when that came in um i think maybe uh at that point maybe almost a year on the road by myself okay so you know it was it's a year's a long time, but you know, a year in police work, you still are, you know, you're the dang minnow in the pond. Absolutely. All right. Oh, but anyways, back to my, um, strange and bizarre. Now this one, this one is, it's funny because you don't really come across it that often, but when you do, like, I'm sure you've, you've found the things I'm about to describe, but you know, you, they're funny because you don't come, come across them often. But anyways, we had a, uh, uh, one of our canine guys, he conducted a traffic stop for whatever reason, and um, uh, we got a uh, we got consent to search from their vehicle. And so we hop them out. It's actually two it's two male occupants. So we hop them out, you know, get them back to the canine's car, and um, he had me he had me go ahead and search the vehicle while he was doing his normal checks, speaking to both of them. And so we're going through the car, and. Um, you know, so he, the, our canine guy suspected that there might be some narcotics in the car. So sure enough, we, we go through and look, and of course, of course we find, we find what we suspected. So, um, at that point, uh, it was, I think we've had found, I don't know if I've, it was, it was a good lick of meth. I forget how much of it was, but it was a felony amount. So did they have it hidden uh, well? I mean, cause they, they allowed, uh, they allowed the search, well, right? They, and so, yeah, they allowed the search, the, the consent for the search but it wasn't hitting well they had a lot of i think the tactic they were trying to use was if if our car is so dirty maybe if we get pulled over they'll just realize that hey there's a lot of stuff that they have to go through so maybe they won't go through all of our stuff and find you know what we've what we've got hidden on the bottom in the bottom bag underneath you know five or six bags and clutter and paper and all that stuff so gotcha take a little gamble yeah so uh but lo and behold, you know, we, we found the stuff. So he said that they were under arrest. So at that point we were going to inventory the vehicle because it was going to need to be towed. And so me and another officer are going through the car and we keep finding, we keep finding like, you know, like, uh, like sex, sex toys and things like that. So, you know, we, we, we go on through all these bags and we're finding like, you know, like dildos and penis pumps and just out of the world things that you don't see on a regular basis and you know like you know grown grown men are you know we're all like chuckling like we're 12 year old boys like oh look you know like oh of course you know you know what i'm saying like <laughs> yeah you know, see something like that like oh my gosh i can't and, you know it was funny because like i said you don't run across that stuff and it's kind of private and you know it's you know it's just something weird that you don't ever you would think to find in someone's car but you know lo and behold here it is right here and staring at you in the face <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was that was uh, that's probably been one of the one of the funnier things that I've experienced, or I guess strange or bizarre. Yeah. Um, uh, another now I don't know uh, if this you could consider this. I don't know if this, you would consider this story strange or bizarre, but it is kind of uh, coincidental. 
Um, I had another uh, call while I was on third shift. Um, uh, I was actually getting gas. I just we had just left briefing, and I was getting gas at the speedway. And so I'm pulling into the pumps, you know, I do my thing, get my gas, and I'm getting ready to leave. And as I'm about to pull off, I hear some kind of commotion, like a, a woman or a man arguing. And then I hear like some, I hear like a, a glass bottle break. And then so, you know, of course, obviously, I've, I, you know, I drive around the pump to see what it was. And I see a, a broken beer bottle on the ground and I see the car that was at that pump pulling off. So I, you know, I let dispatch know what happened. And I said, hey, I'll do an investigative stop to determine what the what the issue is and so uh this this was at about uh, about 10 o'clock at night and so you know of course i stopped the car and i make contact with the it's a male and a female and they were boyfriend girlfriend and they were in some kind of argument um uh, you know uh, in some kind of argument and that's why the beer bottle was broken but um but they left and you know didn't pick it up to bother to pick it up I right? knocked his knocked his road soda <laughs> out of the sand that's yeah, that's yeah, unforgivable yeah. get rid of her yeah yeah, knocked his beer out. So, <laughs> uh, so, um, so we, uh, you know, I, I was speaking to him. The, the girl had no ID on her, uh, no nothing that would identify, no tangible objects that would show who, who this is, who I am. So I just had to go with. I didn't have a computer at the time with me, so I had to just go with what she said, her name, you know, date of birth, social, everything. She gave me everything to a T. So um, she was actually suspended. So, you know, I, I wrote her a site for driving on suspended. Um, and then that was it. So I, I left, I let them do their thing. No, no, no domestic arrestable offense for that. So I left, uh, and then at about two o'clock that night, this is, this is where it, it takes a wild, crazy turn. Um, we get a call for a, uh, a call for service for a, uh, basically a, uh, a requested investigation, uh, in regards to a, a possible stolen car. And of course it was in my zone as usual. So I, <laughs> so me, uh, so me and, and me and my partner at the time, she gets there before I, I, I do. And, um, I show up right after her. And so we're talking to this girl, like we knock on the door. Uh, this girl comes out with a neck brace on and she's like, Oh yeah, I want to report my car, my car stolen. And so we're like, okay, well what's, you know, what's your name? Uh, you know, she gives me the name and the, this is like, this is where it became, a little bizarre it was she gave me the name but the name that she gave me was the name that i was given on the on the traffic stop from the gas station like four hours earlier <laughs> and so i pulled my partner to the side and i said this i said this chick either she's lying who she is because this name that she just gave me was the same name that i got you know four hours earlier so something's off here and so you know we're like oh you know we 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 re-interview her. Hey, you know, what's your name? This and that. You know, do you have any like? Do you have a sister? Obviously, because you know, someone someone was using your ID right uh, on a traffic stop. And so she's like, "Well, I have a sister and all this and all that." And you know, um, and that's at this point we still hadn't figured out that I had been lied to earlier. But um, so we're asking we're asking her at this point we've we've gone past the the ID and part. We're like, all right, well, what's what's the issue with your car? And she's like, "Well, I want to report my car stolen." And we're like, okay, well, you know, who's got your car? Where are they at? Give us the details. And she said that her sister's boyfriend had taken the car and left and then just, you know, basically said, I'm out, I'm out of here. And so <clears throat> at that point, um, dispatch, you know, we have the, we have the mics where you can put the earpiece in your ear. So you can only hear and the public can't hear right. what's coming over the radio. So we, uh, the same exact time, she, you know, she says, "Oh, my boy, my sister's boyfriend took it, took the car." Uh, the dispatch gets on the line to us and says, "Hey, just be advised, uh, the car that's in question just arrived at the local hospital with a male that had a slit throat." Ooh. Yeah. So at this point, we're like, "Oh wow, this is definitely taking a bizarre turn." So we, uh, you know, we kind of played on with it, like, "Okay, well, where's you know, why would he take your car? This and that." And then finally, we just you know, we told her like, look, hey, we know where your car is and we know who's got your car and we know why he has his car because he had his throat slit. So now we're now we're not we've gone past the <laughs> stolen car like we're into a whole different uh, different ball game. So you yeah. need to be a little more truthful because you're obviously lying. And so lo and behold, you know, we had we had to make entry and um, we found the sister. We found the sister that I originally spoke to 
initially four hours ago she was inside and she was inside naked and like unconscious and you know like in the we found her in the floor and you know there was there was some kind of other argument after the initial argument and he somehow got his throat slit by her and Ugh. you know it, it was a big it was a big ordeal we had to call detectives in and all that and you know i think they ended up ended up charging her with like attempted first degree murder or second something something pretty heavy so and then of course now she's had insult oh, sorry go ahead. go ahead go ahead oh, i was gonna say just to add insult to injury you know after like a week after that i was like well I, you know i'm gonna go take out more charges on her for the you know the criminal impersonation and driving on suspended because you know she she lied on the initial get-go but yeah, yeah. It's funny how you see people in the beginning of their night, and then you catch up with them later. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, it was like I said, it was crazy. Just to now, she was you know, naked he, in there, passed out. Yeah. Or she was just from alcohol and drugs, or was she like, uh, did he did he knock her out? Um, to us, uh, what I think was is that she had, yeah, she got drunk, or she took something, or or because we didn't we didn't find anything like any she didn't have any physical injuries on her or anything like that she and she really wasn't making much sense so she didn't she couldn't really give us uh any details on what happened and why she was naked and why she was on the floor um uh, and i i believe later on she had to be interviewed after the fact because she was just so inebriated uh on scene at that time was she a big woman um she, she was a bit hefty, yeah, because I remember we had to help carry her out from the live to, from the bedroom to the living room, and she was naked, you know, which adds a whole nother like gross factor to it. Yeah, you know, you got like oh, I got to pick this, I got to help pick this naked person up and move them. <laughs> so, but you don't ever and make sure you got your gloves with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and that, like I said, that was that's. I thought that was a pretty like bizarre, coincidental story for for that. I'm trying to. Did, I now, did she really, get him? Really how bad did she get him on the throat? Was it like a oh, neck, or did she he, get him like half? He, uh, apparently, he she got him pretty good, but not well enough to like cause permanent damage. Uh, I believe he ended up being uh, he, he ended up, I think, having to have a little bit of uh, some minor surgery, and then he uh, was fine from from what I was told. Surprisingly, see, see that? I mean, he should have left right after she knocked the. Road yeah, out of her yeah, hand. Right? Yeah, like, the road beer out of her hand. Yeah. <laughs> kind of woman yeah, are you? Yeah, right. Foresh- foreshadowing into the into the later of the night. All right, brother. So. Can you tell me the most intense and or terrifying call that you've been on? Uh, the most intense call I had. We had a. Uh, now, believe it or not, we had a suspicious. We had a. It was the call came out as a as a suspicious person at a. Uh, at a gas station, like right off the interstate, because we have we have I twenty four that runs through our jurisdiction. Okay, uh, and so the call came out as uh, an Uber driver had called nine one one to report that a passenger that he had just dropped off at the gas station was threatening him with a hammer. Uh, later, after everything was said and done, we found out that the suspect in this incident. He, I guess, had been on a, a meth a meth binge for a few days, so he'd been up for some time, and that he had apparently he had called an Uber to take him somewhere in Nashville, but he was so paranoid that he thought his Uber driver was an undercover cop, and the, oh, the undercover cop was taking him to jail because because surprisingly, uh, air quotations, he had warrants. So uh, the Uber driver. Uh, Unluckily, or unfortunately for me, got off at the last exit uh, before they entered Davison County. So the last exit before you get to Metro Nashville is in Rutherford County. And it happened to be in our jurisdiction. So we were the ones that had to deal with them. So um, he got called as a, as a uh, suspicious person at the pilot gas station. So three of us, uh, me and two others, check in route to uh, – to deal with the guy and at this point it's like four it's like four o'clock so it's nothing you know it's not it's nothing it's not a crazy time of the day to think that maybe this is actual a suspicious person so um we get there uh me and the my two other partners get there and they they got there before i did so i was the last patrol officer to arrive on scene and there was probably like a two or three minute delay from when they got on scene to when i showed up and uh partook in the in the in the incident and so um they parked at the front 
um, this is like a truck stop gas station. So they have like a big trucking parking area for all the trucks out, out at the back end. And so I, I told him, Hey, I'll, if you go to the front, I'll go to the back. So for whatever reason, if this guy tries to run or if it becomes something serious, then he's, we got him trapped on the inside. <clears throat> so, uh, so I, you know, I get out, I'm walking up to the building. So I walk inside and the, uh, the manager is standing right there at their register. And so I look at her and, uh, bef- and she doesn't say a word. She just looks right at me and she's pointing at a guy that's standing right in front of her who, who is drinking a dang, um, like a, a red apple ale or some kind of alcoholic beverage, like a pop top, like a 24 ounce pop top. Right. And he's, he's drinking it in the store. Nice. And so, and we didn't, we didn't get many uh, descriptors of what this guy looked like, except that he was armed with a hammer and he was white. So, you know, I go inside and there's a ton of white people inside. So I'm like, you know, it's, <laughs> so, everybody on the floor. Uh, yeah. So I, I go inside and the, the manager's pointing at this, at this guy. And so I look at him and he looks at me and I look at her. And so this, the, the guy, which later was a suspect, he's looking at both the manager and me, but he's just standing there drinking. He's being cool. And so I asked the manager, I said, uh, and I look at the guy, I said, is this, is this the guy that we're here for? Or where, where's the person I need to talk to? And she's like, well, I don't know if this is the guy that you're looking for, but this guy needs to be dealt with because he's drinking beer inside. And I've told him he needs to not do that. And he hasn't even paid for it. You can't do that in Tennessee? <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. Nope. Not in, not in Tennessee still. So you're going to have to keep it inside. But uh, so, so I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is the guy. I'll just go talk to this guy, see what, what entails, what happens. So sure enough, as he sees the conversation between me and the manager subside, I, I then refocus my attention back to him to talk to him. So he sees that I've done, I'm done speaking with her. So he attempts to, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try to just casually slide out the front and I'll just walk off. So he starts to walk away and, um, I, I'm like, Hey, sir, I need to talk to you. Stop, Pol- you know, police, you know, obviously I'm in full uniform. So he knew who was trying to talk to him. So, right. um, so he, and he just continued to walk through the front and drinking that beer. So, He's walking, and I'm like, again, police, you need to stop. Um, so it still didn't stop. So this time I'm, I, I started to kind of, you know, speed walk towards him. And then uh, so I'm, I'm like maybe, you know, a foot away from him. I'm like, you need to stop. And I grab him. I grab him, my left arm with his left arm. And he's drinking his beer in the right, in his right arm. So as I, as I go to grab him, he decides to try to run past back where I came in. So he, he tries to uh, run past me, and as he runs past me, I grab him. I'm able to get a, a better grab on him, and so I, you know, I throw him to the ground, or I escort him to the ground. <laughs> Guide and direct him to the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, and so, so we both, we basically just both fall on the ground, and um, he wasn't, he wasn't, I'm, I'm about five, I'm five ten, about, you know, I fluctuate between 200 and 205 pounds so i'm a decent sized guy and i was a lot bigger than this guy he was probably like five seven maybe five eight five six like a hundred like a buck fifty buck sixty something like that so um i had the size advantage so we we fall to the ground and just it just worked out in his favor that when we fell that he he had fell on top of me so he had me like in half i don't know if you're familiar with jujitsu terms but he had me in half guard and, uh, I don't know what is half guard. Is that like a half Nelson or something? Uh, so like, so let's say if you're on the ground and I, I'm basically I'm sitting on on your chest with one leg on each side of your body, that would be like full guard. If I'm if I have one leg, basically between your legs and one leg on the other side, trapping your one of your legs, that's like half guard. Okay. Or half mount, or whatever you call it. He would be mounting me, but I would have him in half guard. So he's on top of me, basically mounting me, and half half mount and. So, um, at this point he had no hammer, but as soon as we fell and he was on top of me, I thought, Hey, I'll just trap his, I'll trap with my left leg. I'll trap his right foot. So he can't stand up cause he kept trying to posture up. Right. And so I figured I'll just, I'll just grab him in a, like a bear hug type squeeze and I'll just, I'll just hold him. I'll just put him in a clinch, clinch hold. So he can't get, you know, get some space out because at this point, you know, we're rolling around and we're fighting. He pulls the, he pulls a hammer out. Um, out of his, uh, he, he had like a, a thick jacket on it. it. The jacket didn't match the, the, the temperature for the day. So I'm he sure had a big, like, thick wool jacket. Really good too. 
Oh yeah. And you know, he's like, I mean, he's kind of like, he was an animal. Like he's growling and like, you know, just spitting and just, yeah. I mean, he was just going berserk. And so, like I said, he's, he's trying to posture up and this time he pulls his hammer out and he has it and he has it in his right hand. And as he pulls it out, I look and I can see that like, it's right next to my face, but he has, he doesn't have enough, uh, you know, strength to sit up to, to like swing it. Cause I had control of his arm a little right. bit so it was he was kind of like flailing flailing his arm with the hammer but he couldn't really get a good hit with it because he was trying to hit me with it while we're rolling what kind of hammer is like a traditional like contractor's uh, hammer yeah, or? yeah just yeah just like a like a, just the two claw hammer just the normal contractor hammer okay um and uh so so we're sitting there rolling around and i see the hammer and we're right next to the register and so thankfully like i'm, I'm surprised that this this still happens just a good Samaritan, a truck driver. He was standing right there watching that, watching it all happen. He, he looks down and he saw that he had a hammer and he yelled at me. He's like, he's got a hammer. And then, so I yelled back at the truck driver. I was like, well, if he's got a hammer, grab it. Like, don't stand there. Help <laughs> yeah. me. Help, hey, help he's me hitting you with the hammer. This guy. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, and like, I couldn't, I didn't want to let go of the guy cause I just wanted to keep him as, cl- as close as I could to my body. Just so he, you know, he couldn't get, Sure. A good whack, a good whack with that hammer. Yeah. So at the same time, I'm still wondering where the hell is my where I'm, where are my partners at? Like, yeah. I, like I've I've been rolling on the ground for maybe like you know 30 seconds, but it seemed a lot. You know, it seems like a lifetime for 30 seconds. Oh, you get gassed quick. And, and uh, I'm like, where the I'm like, where the hell are they at? And so I'm I'm looking around, still holding this guy. And then, like I said, thankfully the truck driver, he he comes in and he rips the hammer out of the guy's hand. So at this point, I felt a little, a little more, you know, I felt better about the uh, situation that hey, at least he doesn't have a hammer now. Now we can just go one on one, right? You know, com- hand, hands, and so sure enough, right after the hammer got taken out, my partners that they had thought that the suspect had went to the bathroom, so they were actually in the bathroom waiting for people to leave the stall because they thought he was in the bathroom hiding in the stall, <laughs> and so they come out. And they see us on the ground, like just going at it. And they're like, oh, what, you know, what the, what? and so they, they show up and, you know, he didn't want to give them his hands and all that. So they had, had to tase him on top of all that. And so they tased mm. him and they, they got him into custody. And, um, uh, and, and, you know, the scary thing about it is that, you know, after they, after they read him Miranda and all that and said, Hey, you're under arrest, obviously. Um, uh, he, he told the officer, he said that, he said, my whole intention was to kill, was to kill that cop. Like he said it was going to, and he, he later, like I said, he said that he, he kind of had like a suicide by cop on his mind. Cause he said that he wanted to kill a cop so that he would have to be shot in return. Wow. And so, and it was, and it, like I said, it was crazy. Like he, he was completely wrong. He wasn't, in, he thought he was in Nashville, which he wasn't in Nashville. Um, and you know, he had, he had two other warrants for like aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. So, you know, this wasn't his his first rodeo with not playing nice with uh, weapons involved, and so that's pretty. He's like lucky that, you didn't. Uh, he's lucky that um, you didn't kill him. You didn't have a yeah, chance. Yeah, I mean, know? and and people and people have said, you know, like you were totally justified in, in smoking him. But uh, and on on the flip side, I I guess I was, but I honestly it never really like I never got it in my head. It never got to that point where I thought, I you know, I'm I'm going to have to shoot him because I can't win. Right. So, but like I said, I, I, I do jujitsu, um, once or twice a week. I'm still a white belt, so I'm not out here bragging, but definitely jujitsu. Hey, if you, if you do it at all, you got me be tenfold. Right. Well, hey, like tough. I said, I, I'm, I'm no, I'm no badass on the jujitsu mat, but I, I train weekly and it, it helps. So if you don't do it, you need to start. Cause like I said, it, it helped me in this situation specifically because I, once I fell to the ground, you know, I wasn't like. You know, you have all these thoughts and emotions of panic going through your head. And I wasn't panicked. Yeah, you've been there um, before. You know, yeah, and people were like, oh, were you scared? And like, honestly, I mean, it was scary. But, I mean, I'm sure you've been in situations where you don't have time to be scared. You don't have time to just – you don't have time to feel. You just react. You just do. And then, you know, all that all that emotion of feeling and this and that can, you know, happens after the situations calm down. So, I mean, like I said, it was crazy. That is crazy. That's a crazy call, man. That's um, that jujitsu. That's a great point. That I mean, 
They say most fights, 90% of fights end up on the ground, and that's jiu-jitsu. It's all about wrestling. So, yeah. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, you're confident. You you have, you know how to move your body. You know how to use leverage, and you didn't yeah. you didn't, yeah. you didn't panic. Because some people, especially now, um, some some because uh, I used to do uh, backgrounds for LAPD, and a lot of a lot of guys have never even been in a fight. You know, like they're um, even in even in academy, they're not <clears throat> they're not fighting as much or like they used to. You know, so right. Oh you, yeah, you get um you get the wrong guy who gets through academy and he and he and he's not uh, familiar with that having his being pumped up and having to wrestle someone. He could he could uh, overreact with use of force. You know. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, like I said, it's if you don't do it, like I said, I'm I'm that's I learn something every new every day when I go there. So. I, I go for an hour and a half twice a week usually, and it's it's basically three hours of getting my butt whooped <laughs> when I go. So oh, I bet, I'd, man. I'd rather I'd rather I always tell people, hey, I'd rather get my butt whipped in there than get my butt whooped out on the street. So you gotta let me ask you a question. My buddy back home does it, and he's he, two of my buddies actually do it. Those geese that they wear, I mean. I would have to tape my nipples, man. Those things are like it's like a, <laughs> oh, you, you an gotta, old you gotta, burlap bag. You got to you got to get you a good gi like the gi I have. Uh, it's actually got uh, on the inside. It's got silk, like it's silk's been stitched onto the inside. Oh yeah, that'd be good for my so, nipples. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, and so that silk is it's perfect. Now I do have a, another gi that has nothing stitched on the inside, and it is it's like like you said, it's like a wool sack, it's all itchy and yeah, it's like terrible. My, my my wife, she actually you're not because you're not supposed to put gis in the. Uh, you know, in the washing machine, and let them dry, like yeah. not in the dryer. And well, she accidentally put it in the dryer. So of oh. course, this gi, you know, it's a uh, like one size too small. So I look like a, you know, a, I'm wearing like a, a child's gi uh, <laughs> when I put this gi on. But have you uh, ever seen like, the movie The Fist Foot Way? Uh, the Fist? No, I have not. I'll you, have to. Is it, is it on Netflix? Uh, I don't know where it is, <laughs> but it's um, it's the guy from Eastbound and Down, Danny um. Oh, Danny McBride. Yeah, he's the star yeah. of it, and it's before he was famous. But he's a he's a um, sensei at a local dojo, it, and mm. you can just imagine how, where he takes that role. But uh, oh, I I don't know I, why that I, came I, into my I head, think dude. He's but he's awesome. Got, I like <laughs> I like all his stuff. So if you say he's in it, then it's probably something that's pretty funny, pretty good to watch. No, it's it's fantastic. One other question about the jujitsu. My buddy got a belt. I don't know what color it was, but. Um, and then they all whipped him on the back. Is that is that just his dojo, or is that traditional? Uh, now I've heard I've heard other places. I, I believe this the gym that I'm at. I don't I don't think they do that. I'm I don't quote me. Um, I've never I've never been there when someone's got promoted to another belt, so I've never seen it personally. But I have heard of other gyms, not here specifically, but just other gyms in general that you know uh, they do that. Uh, I that do know. Sucks. <laughs> hey, yeah, right. That makes you not want to like move up on your belt, exactly. like get your butt whipped. But, but I do know for our for the gym that I go to, I think what they do part of the uh, like uh, tradition or whatever. Like if you get promoted, then you have to roll with everybody in the class for like a certain time, like two minutes or you know. So if there's like ten people in the class, you have to roll like ten times straight for two minutes at a time, you know, without a break per but, se. You know, for example. Did you do wrestling before you did that, or did you just uh, jump nope. in? No, nope. it it was uh, the whole reason I do jujitsu is because I'm a police officer. So I mean, I, it's uh, definitely smart to do, right? I and just can't to get past that. Like, I mean, it's it's uh, really intimate. Like you're really on top of oh, each yeah. other. Like uh, so, is it kind of weird to break that? Like when you're new, kind of like, all right, uh, this is kind of weird, but I'm gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely like. The first time I went, it's definitely out of your. If you've never done it, it's definitely going to be out of your comfort zone. You know, you're dealing with people that you've never dealt with or never spoke to, and uh, you know, it's it's part of part of the uh, you know part of growing up. You got to do things that that uh, you're not comfortable with. And but I mean, now it's you know now it's like second nature. But at first it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, because I, I mean, we had it to was uncomfortable. In, yeah, it's just weird. It's like we we had to wrestle in high school, and it was like um, I remember thinking like it. When you get tired wrestling someone, you don't care about it. Their their ass could be in your face, and like you just you're just struggling. Oh yeah, to make uh-huh. it through. Like you would mm. do, you would grab anything, twit, pull whatever you whatever you can do to. Yeah, and then there's nothing more exhausting. I mean, it's, oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely uh, it's definitely like a my hat's off to you. It's a it's definitely like a freaking 
manly ass sport. I got two buddies back home that do. One of them actually competed for a while. He did fights and stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah. Now, I don't. I don't do any. I don't do any competitions. I, now I wouldn't mind maybe doing them, maybe later. But uh, I, I I don't go enough to do that. I go probably maybe once or twice a week, for you know that's three hours to an hour and a half a week, uh, which which isn't enough in itself. But I'm I'm like I said, like you said, I'm going. So hey, I, like I said, it's I've definitely learned from from when I've been going, from when I've started to where I'm at now. I've definitely learned a lot of things that are helpful for uh, for everyday life and for police police work. So if you know, I got, it's a high rec- I recommend it. Absolutely. All right, brother. You got uh, you got time for a couple more? Oh yeah, yeah. Keep them coming. All right. Um, positive situation. Heartwarming. Dare I say? Is there anything you can think of that uh, hmm. was uh, like a positive encounter with the community? Right. Right. Positive. Now, specifically, there isn't one outcome that comes to my head, but I've you know I've I try to make it part of my routine when I'm on shift that you know I try to change the perception of of how you know how people the public you know view the uh, you know view the police so if, you know if, if i'm dealing with a child or some teenagers you know i try to uh, let them know hey look i'm not all you know if you usually my first question is you know usually they'll 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 pop something off with something in the news about cops and all this and all that oh yeah yeah you know like and uh you know i'll tell them hey look well you know that's your first problem because you're watching the news like you don't need to be watching the news because obviously the news is going to have their own perspective of it, regardless of if it's factual or not. And so, uh, um, like I said, I just try to, I tell everybody when I'm at work, especially if, if I arrest you, I, I tell you straight up, look, Hey, I know you're under arrest. I'm not here to be rude to you or belittle you. I'm a grown man or, you know, I'm an adult just like you. So if you don't give me any problems, I won't give you any problems. We'll make this, you know, as polite and cordial and professional as it needs to be. Um, and uh, we go from there. But, you know, with like with the kids, uh, you know, I like working with the kids just to show them, you know, because, you know, you got the media and, you know, rap music and just all this, all these other influences, video games and TV and music, all these influences that, sure, you know, are, are depicting lifestyles of, of famous people, you know doing this or doing, you know, you know, like Takashi Six Nine, you know, doing all that stuff with guns and drugs and gangs. And, you know, like they make that seem like that's a, a lavish lifestyle, which, I mean, I'm sure some of that's out there for a few people, but that's not your everyday, you know, that's not happening to everybody who's in a gang or who's, you know, doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. So I, you know, like I said, I just try to tell the kids, Hey, I try to be a positive role model to y'all. Look, y'all, y'all can still do your thing, have fun with your friends, but, you know, doing illegal things ain't the way to do it. We've all been young. We've all done mischievous things that, you know, we knew we shouldn't be, shouldn't be doing, but, you know, whatever. You got caught or you got away with it, um, regardless of what it is. But, like I said, I just try to let them know, like, hey, I try to connect with them that just because I'm a police officer and I have a badge and a gun and, and a uniform doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to, my life perspective is any different than yours, you know, like I'm going to treat you with respect and, you know, I, I hope that outside the uniform, you know, you can be a, a, a role model to me and I can teach you something. You know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah, just absolutely. try to, yeah, you're just a, you're I just try a to be a positive role community. model to show them that, that, Hey, I'm, I'm no different than you just because my, you know, my skin's different or my, my lifestyle's different. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, it's good you do that because it is. Um, my dad always said that when I he was a police officer for thirty years, and when I became a cop, he was like, just you know, in the booking room, you arrest someone, just treat them like a gentleman until it's time right. not, until yep. it's time not to, because uh-huh. um, you're gonna see this person. You'll be grocery shopping with your kids, or you'll be you'll be somewhere in a you'll be in a you know vulnerable position, and who will walk up but this guy, you know, or you know, right? So just treat yeah, everybody yeah. with respect. So mm-hmm. that's that's smart. All right, man. You got some advice for new officers, people, boots coming on the job now that you got those four years? <laughs> oh, oh, since I'm such a salty veteran. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's think. Shoot. Well, I would say my advice for people that that aren't police officers at the moment, like maybe going through the process of it, um, my advice to you all is that you need to have you need to have a, a real come to Jesus talk with yourself. Hey, like you're gonna see things 
that no human should have to see. You know, you're going to hear things that you shouldn't have to hear. And, you know, that stuff's going to change you. Um, so you, you need to, you know, you get a, a front row seat to life. So you need to really sit down and think, hey, is this something that I want to deal with? You know, for the for a career, if I make a career out of it, or if I only do it for a year, you have to decide: is this what I want to do? You know, do I want to do I want to maybe go to work and possibly die for a stranger to help? You know, save some wife from getting her butt kicked by her husband, but you know, get killed in the same time, or you know, you on the flip side, you can be a positive role model to some kids or to some uh, adolescents or even adults. Um, yeah. So I, and like I said, I've, I've seen a lot of people that have. Uh, like specifically at our department that have got on and got hired and have went through the academy and, uh, you know, have had tons of money pumped into them. And then a year down the road, they're like, oh, this isn't for, like, you know, like I'm not like they hang it up, they quit. And, you know, so it kind of, it's kind of frustrating. Yeah. But sometimes, to, to I mean, see that. sometimes it's the best thing they can and, do. And so, yeah. And so, but like, that's my advice for people that are, that are still trying to get into it. If you want, if this is what you want, and once if you've said, Hey, this is what I want to do, then go into it 120%. Don't, don't half-ass it. Give it all you got, because you know, you know the the you know, the cliche that you know, cop people say cops are you know they they take it too serious. You know, like the thin blue line and all that. But I mean, in my opinion, uh, being a cop and all that is it's not like being it's not your normal job. You know, it's it 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 will become a part of you. It challenges regardless. you for sure. It challenges you to the core. Oh yeah, because I mean, like you know, it, I mean, it changes you because you see. I mean, you deal with people every day that lie to you. You deal with people every day that do things that try to run from you. Don't want to face it. You know, you you deal with a lot of negative things, and then you have to get off duty, and you got to put all that in the back of your head, and you still got to go home and you know function, do you know deal with your wife or your children, or, or you know do this or do that off duty as well. So it's and like I said, it it'll become a part of you regardless if you want it to or not. Because you know we we have those. Uh, you know, I've got guys that I work with that are you know oh I'm not. You know, I'm not a full strong, you know, the, the whole, they're not idolizing the whole cop thing, you know, they, but I mean, like I said, it's just, it'll become a part of you and you can either make it a positive one or you can let it, you know, self-destruct within. Um, yeah, there's definitely, what, what would you suggest for, um, like, like you were saying, like, it's just, you're going to see things that are crazy. I'm, I'm curious what you suggest, how people can uh, cope with that. I mean, when I went on my first, the first call I went on that really, it really made me question, you know, I was like, I, long story short, I went to a call where a community member that I knew died on the call and, uh, there's his body. I know him. He's, you know, eyes open, mouth open. Like, the whole thing just mm-hmm. shook me to the core. Like I, right. every morning I woke up, I thought about his body looking like that. Right. Yeah. And I, and I really thought to myself, I was brand new and I'm like, whew, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I, if I'm going to go to a lot of calls like that. I don't think I, I don't, I really did not know. Uh, and of course I did 10 years after that, but, uh, I had a moment where I was like, I don't know, man, this job is like, yeah, like it just it's, catches it's you off guard. Yeah. It's like, yeah. wow, this is it, life and death stuff. Yeah. I mean it, cause I could, I like for, for I mean, just for instance, I don't want to get off topic, but we like, you know, recently I had to deal with a, a shooting and there was a fatality in the shooting and I was the first one there and you know, uh, it was, it was a juvenile and I, you know, I was, like I said, the first one there. So, I mean, it was. And, you know, there was nothing – you're there and there was nothing I could do. Like he was gone. Yeah. He was gone before I even got there. And, you know, it's just like, you know, your your mind just replays it and, you know, just like I said, the things that we shouldn't have to see just is – it's there, you know. It, it'll never – it'll never go away regardless of how how much you try not to think about it. It's it's still going to be there. So the way my advice for that. If you know, like I said, if you're gonna get into this and you see things, like I said, you're you are you're going to. There's not a, a, a question if you're if you're not. It's a, a win, not if. But yeah, it doesn't uh, matter you, if your department has five guys. You're gonna see oh, the yeah, worst right. things yep. that happen yep. in that area. Yep, it affects from the smallest department to the biggest. And like I said, we're not the biggest, and I've seen things in four years that no one should have to see. But uh, some of the things that gets me through through all that um is to have a good support system uh, i have a wife she uh she loves that i'm a cop she has no problems with me being one uh she understands the risks uh we were together before i became a police officer so she, she you know she, she saw me on that side before i was and she's seen me now and um 
especially when I come home, if she's awake, uh, you know, and, and it's been a crazy night or something's just, you know, something crazy happened. I'll, I'll tell her, um, you know, the things I can tell her. Right. And then, um, and then my family, they're my mom and dad, they're still married and, uh, they, uh, they're real supportive of me. They're, they're proud that, you know, their son's a police officer and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let them, I'll fill them in on certain things as well. You know, I'm a little with them. I'm a little more guarded just cause I, I don't want my mom to worry or my dad to worry. Cause yeah, of course, you know, bef- before I, uh, before I became a cop, uh, I actually, I actually graduated with a degree in teaching to be a teacher, but I realized, Hey, I don't want to be a teacher. And I remember my, uh, I remember my dad told me one time, he said, he said, I'm proud of you with, if you're a teacher or if you're a cop, but I'll tell you, if you're a cop, when I, the nights I, I go to bed, I'll worry about you all night compared to if you were, you know, if you were a teacher, sure. uh, on the flip side. So, uh, like I said, have, have, uh, some other activities outside of cop work that you like to do, uh, hang out with, with your friends that aren't cops. Cause those, yes. you know, that'll, that'll kind of norm- normalize you, put you back into your normal, you know, like you want to assimilate to one group of type of, uh, you know, a type of group, but you know, yeah, have, keep have away from cop, the us versus them mentality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't have that. Like have your, have your cop friends as well. Like your cop friends are good. I have, I have all my cop buddies that I like to hang out with and that's nice. Cause they, you know, they know they've been through the same experiences that I have and they understand that as well. Um, uh, but like I said, I'm not going to make my whole life 24 seven, you know, hanging out with just strictly cops. I, I have my friends that aren't cops that I hung out with before I was a cop. And, um, like I said, you just got to find that, that, uh, that blend of, of, uh, you know, hanging out with your cop buddies or hanging out with non-cops and just trying to, you know, have healthy avenues to decompress when you're off duty, uh, you know, compared to, you know, the statistics with cop suicide and alcoholism and, you know, all those things. So like, like I said, that's just, and don't be afraid to talk to anybody. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. You know this this profession. Everyone's like macho, macho. You know they don't want can't show expression. You know you can't cry or things like that. But I mean, I it mean, helps, man. Human. Definitely. I I went it um, does. when I saw that guy die. I uh, I went and talked to a guy twice, and it was like I don't know, ten bucks, like a copay. Yeah, right. and I felt real weird about it. And luckily, there was a sergeant on the job that was uh, I could kind of confide in. He he was like, yeah, that's a couple of the sergeants were like, yeah, it's good, yeah. And I went and yeah. I'm telling you, it only took for me anyways, it was kind of a minor thing, but I just talked to him a couple of times and it just, that's all it took. <laughs> I felt, I felt so much better. Right. And, and like I said, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. If, if you need to talk to somebody, it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're, you know, doesn't mean you're a, you know, a, a girly girl, whatever, you know, whatever your, your right. department or whoever calls you. I mean, I mean, the re- if you are that way, it's because you're, you know, you're a good person. You have feelings. You're like, like I said, when I when I had to do that shooting, you know, there's a, there was a lot of things going on. But honestly, really, the first the first reaction that I wanted to do once we got the scene secured, I wanted to go get in my car and just sit there and cry. You know, I was by sure. myself. I just stared at some, you know, dead kid's face, oh, uh, you know, who didn't even get to enjoy life. And you know, I have to sit here and do all these things to, you know, put on a front that it doesn't affect me, but you know, it, it's going to affect you no matter what, regardless if it's big or small. So, and like I said, I, I got through that. I, you know, I talked to my wife and, uh, you know, my parents and everything about that. And I mean, to me talking is just the, uh, is the best outlet to, uh, absolutely get your nerves, you know, get everything out. Normalizes everything, you. you know, just yeah, get it, it out I mean, there. I mean, we're, like I said, we're all, we're all humans and we have feelings and, it doesn't if you're feeling something doesn't mean that makes you you know any less lesser than you or me or him or her or whatever the case may be. Absolutely. So yeah, friends, family, don't uh, don't get into the us versus them mentality. Keep yourself right. around um, childhood friends. That's that's all solid advice, my man. Right. Don't and don't use don't use alcohol as a coping thing either. As part of my. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's easy to and do. And that goes back. That goes back to the talking, because I, you know, I've heard people say, you know, when we we're at the academy. Guys were talking about, uh, you know, choir practice was quote for you know they sure. when they got off when they got off shift, you know, they'd go to the bar and yeah, pound as many beers as they can, you know. So I mean, and there's a time and place to do that, but I mean, if that's if you're doing that to resolve some issue that you have from work or you know something that's going on in your head, that's not a that's not a healthy. Uh, 
it's not a healthy avenue to help help whatever situation you got going on. Absolutely, man. Words of wisdom right there. <laughs> well, I don't know about words of wisdom, but. <laughs> <laughs> Kyler, man, I'm so happy uh, for you to come on the podcast, brother. Hey, I, I appreciate it. Like I said, I I was ecstatic when I saw that saw that you were needing some more people to interview, and I thought, hey, why not? Let's see if let's see if I can be lucky to be on the show. So, and here we are. So, I, like I said, I I greatly appreciate it, and I'll I'll continue to listen. I'm glad to have you, brother. Thank you. All right, no problem. Thanks. Take care. Bye bye.